I'm Michael Tutloff, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast, Sit Ready. I'm Tara Morgan. And I'm Rachel Friedman. Here at Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in backstories, real life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. From indoor rowing to flat water masters to coastal and ocean adventurers, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport to disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. On the last episode, we explored coastal rowing, a discipline that has been raced for generations in Europe, but is just taking off here in the U.S. Coastal rowing rising stars Christopher Bach and Christine Cavallo, along with their coach Ben Booth, co-founder of Next Level Rowing, all wax poetic about giving in to Mother Nature, working through adversity, and why coastal, just like indoor rowing, is perfect for cross-training. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Live Two Row Studios, live, online, and in-person indoor rowing classes, training camps, and coaching for every body. Visit live2rowstudios.com. RowSource, providing design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Find out more at rowsource.com. Hi, Rachel. Happy Pride. A happy Pride to you, Tara. Have you had a good month? Uh, yeah, it's been great. What I've really loved is that we've taken the time to talk to some really fun people. Last time we talked to DC Strokes and the Melbourne Argonauts. And today we have one of our favorite Steady State fans. Yeah, we're going to be talking with uh, Michael Tutloff, who's with Chicago Rowing Union. And I met Michael a bunch of years ago through DC Strokes and Stonewall Regatta. And um, he keyed in on Steady State Network and the podcast in its earliest days as has been an awesome supporter. So when we thought about folks that we wanted to talk to about LGBTQ rowing and LGBTQ rowing clubs, Michael was definitely not on the list. He was on the short list. Absolutely. And, you know, he comes to everything that we do. He comes to our coffee chats. And what I love is learning about these clubs and their histories because Chicago Rowing Union was another club that kind of started as a result of the Gay Games event, uh, which I've been able to participate in, which is really quite amazing global event. So I'm excited to hear about how they got started, where rowing fits into his life and, and the gay community there in Chicago and just all about Michael. Yeah. And, you know, just a reminder for our listeners, like it's probably pretty obvious there really aren't that many LGBTQ clubs around. So CRU is one of really just like three-ish that I know of here in the United States and then just a couple more around the world. So it's a really unique club with a unique mission and really a great place for community building. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear more and let's let's do it. All righty. My name is Michael Chutloff. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I learned to row during the Reagan administration at Indiana University. So I'm an 80s rower, um, tulip blades and wooden shells. Oh, and yeah. I've got stories. Since then, I, I took a long gap off uh, for career. I came back to rowing about 11 years ago. And I've rowed with Chicago Rowing Union and 
Road with Chicago Rowing Foundation. Today, I am with Chicago Rowing Union, and my off time and to pay for my rowing, I am a wholesale furniture manufacturing showroom manager. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? I am pretty good. How are you today? I got a little bit of a bug. Aww. It's just like a little throat sinus thing. It's not like I'm sick, but... I'd like to say it's because I had a cox yesterday. <laughs> Direct correlation between coxing and the sniffles. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Unfortunately, Tara's feeling very unwell and um, sent me an email in the middle of the night, basically saying like, I might not make it in the morning. So you're stuck with just me today. I think we can survive. I, I hope so. So I'm, I'm hoping that you listen to the podcast. And if you do, you know that we uh, put our uh, listeners in the hot seat uh, to help our guests get to know you. Uh, we call this rapid fire. Are you ready? Bring it on. <laughs> All right. Port or starboard? Starboard for life. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Currently engine room. Uh, bow before the hips got too big. Oh, the hips. <laughs> <laughs> um, head race or sprint race? <sighs> My heart is always with sprint races, but as an old man, head races are the way to go. Unisuit or tank and trout? Tank and trout, just for practical reasons. <laughs> Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? During a race, I like reminders to sit up and breathe. I love a cox who calls a boat out if it's not set. Nothing pushes me over the edge more than when it just sets on starboard and it stays there. Favorite place to row? I love to row on the Charles, which I've done three times now. I think the coolest rowing experience I had was at the 2024 Paris Olympic facilities. Oh. When were you there? For 2018 at the Gay Games. We were actually the first major competition that was held at that venue. And we had a lot of the Paris organizing committee that was there observing what they needed to make sure was correct in time for Paris. And there was a lot of things that needed to be corrected. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you were there kind of as a test run. Yeah. I mean, it was the facilities are going to be phenomenal. But when we were we were there during um, the really bad heat wave out in 18 when there were so many people that died. Oh yeah. It was still under construction. There was no shade. There was no drinking water. Oh. There were no toilet seats, no toilet paper. It was, it was bare bones. It was bare bones at best. Yeah. But it but the facilities were phenomenal. And I mean, they'll be ready for Paris and it's going to be fantastic. So do you have plans to go to the 2024 games? I keep putting it in the back of my mind that it would be fun to go over, but I'm not sure timing wise with my job, if it's going to work. Uh, let's see. I've got two more rapid fire questions for you. Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Focus mm. on yourself, especially as an older rower. It's 
easy to get discouraged when you're sitting behind a 23-year-old ex-collegiate rower and you're in your mid-50s. You're not going to row like them, mm-hmm. no matter how good you are. Stop worrying about it. Like they can motivate you, they can push you to to do your best, but you're going to be slower no matter what. So stop worrying about it and just focus on yourself. Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. Last but not least, coffee before or after a row? I don't drink coffee. We practice in the evenings now. So it's hopefully getting home on time, changing and trying to get out the door. Light snack. I usually do like a piece of peanut butter bread just to get something light, little filling. I like lemon water when I practice, though, something fresh. And then afterwards, it's just hydrate, keep it simple, um, and then go to bed because it's repeated all the next day. All the next day. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm an evening rower as well. I think the uh, our question about coffee really stems from like our memories of being morning rowers, yeah. <laughs> everybody going out for coffee afterwards. Yeah. But, we usually um, do breakfast on yeah. Saturdays because we'll practice Saturday mornings. It's just the competitive team on Saturday mornings. So we always end up going out to like a diner yeah. after and having uh, breakfast. Yeah, that sounds fun. Okay, so let's get into the meat of things. We are really interested in the decisions and life events that lead people to rowing. So what was going on in your life when you learned to row? So set the way back machine. When I first learned, I was at Indiana University. It was a club sport. I had a roommate who really pushed me. He was going to join the lacrosse team. And was like, you need to do something. You need to do something. Let's both take up a sport. And they were both club sports, but it's like, let's both take up a sport. And then, you know, we've got stuff. We can push each other, blah, 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 blah. And I was looking around. I'm like, "Eh, you know, rowing looks like fun. And I decided to do it and survived. So it was great. And I always tell, I love my, one of my, um, first day rowing stories. So it's super early. We're out on Lake Lemon, which is north of Bloomington, Indiana. Beautiful venue. And as I had said earlier, tulip blades and wooden shells, beautiful old boats. So we would water launch and we'd go through, we'd already done our swim tests. We'd done all the safety things. They're walking you through how to get into the boat. We're getting ready to water launch an eight. You know what happens. So girl starts to get into the boat. She doesn't step on the deck. She goes onto the bottom and she punches through the bottom of the boat. She was advised that she might want to consider another sport besides rowing. So outside of that, (laughs) what do you remember? What do you remember about like that first season and what it was like to get in boats and what was it that kept you coming back to it? It just felt natural. I mean, I grew up in the cornfields of Indiana and everybody thinks of Indiana as basketball, but where I grew up, it was baseball. The Mm -hmm. town is baseball obsessed, the most baseball diamonds per capita, blah, blah, blah. And like everything is ball sport. And I am not coordinated like that. I, you know, I can't throw 
I can't catch. The only thing I run is run late for work <laughs> or run a parent. And I just never found a sport that I liked or I wanted to do. And the first time I ever sat in a boat, it just felt right. I don't know how else to describe it. I was with people who felt the same way and I was starting to make friends. It was my first time living away from home. And I, it was just, it felt like community for me. So that was back in the 80s. You said you took some time off. You've come back to it. You've been rowing there in Chicago for several years. And I'm always really curious about why, why people row, because everyone has a different story, especially as masters, right? When you're in high school, you row because you've got a couple of friends that do or because your parents push you into it. But as adults, we choose to pay coaches so that we can row and hopefully row well. So what is your why? So... I mean, my story for coming back, I had always wanted to row again, but I traveled a lot for work, so it wasn't practical. Um, had some life changes, uh, was stable as far as not traveling more than an occasional here or there. So it was something that I could do. I had been in a uh, long-term relationship that ended rather badly. And the time, the only good thing about it was the timing because it was like March-ish and it was just in time for like learn to row and start of the season, everything else. And I had my moment and then I figured I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to get out and I'm going to focus on myself instead of worrying about everybody else. I'm going to focus on myself. And I reached out and saw that they had like meet the teams coming up. It was kind of meet and greet. And I went out and I had spoken with them. They're like, you know, it's been a while. So you'd probably do better to just go through the learn to road for a refresher and then join the team. And I did it and I never looked back. Honestly, all of my friends, almost all of my friends I've met through rowing. I just, it's, again, it's my community. It's yeah. where I, I'm, I feel happiest. And even, um, even with my job, I somehow always manage to turn the conversation to rowing and get like people super comfortable. Then I go in for, you know, the ask and um, yeah, that's why yeah. Yeah, over and over again. I mean, that's why a lot of us really uh, continue rowing is the community that we find there. Something that I've always thought about, especially when I was rowing and coaching in the morning is, you know, being a part of a team, you get to see not just one friend once in a while, but you get to see potentially dozens of friends every single morning and start your day that way. And that's really mm -hmm. special, I think. It really is. I mean, I... I think the great thing for me is as I've grown as a rower um, and I've gotten to know more people and rowing is what you make of it. You can either, you know, show up, jump in the boat, go away, or you can make it more part of your life. But I know people from all over the world mm -hmm. and great experiences. I was just talking with my old coach, uh, who lives in New Zealand um, like a week ago. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I have a friend who is the assistant rowing coach for the Ukrainian Paralympic national team who's who's living in exile in France right now Mm. until it's safe for them to go home. Mm. Um, You know, and I, and there's plenty of others that I know and interact with. And to me, that's always kind of fascinating and just to see where people row and have those interactions. The community is amazing to be a part of. Study Safe Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Home buyers are flocking to Maine for mountain, lake, and ocean access, friendly neighbors, and above all, relaxation like you'll find nowhere else. If the vacation land lifestyle is one you'd like to explore, reach out to the folks at Breakwater Realty Group brokered by EXP Realty. With agents up and down the coast and inland to the mountains, they'll provide the friendly expertise needed to get you into your next home in Maine or New Hampshire. Learn more or contact the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with CRU's Michael Tutlov. That's one, two. Speaking of community, so here in D.C., there's a very large and vibrant LGBT QIA community. We spoke with Josh Lipscomb, the president of Melbourne Argonauts. He said that the same is um, happening there in Melbourne with a vibrant community. Can you tell me a little bit about the community in Chicago? Well, I think a lot of people know um, the LGBTQ plus community here as um, known as Boys Town. That's the primary one. And the history on that, that name actually comes, the neighborhood used to be known as Newtown. And as the LGBTQ community has shifted in the city over decades, and it used to actually be downtown, down in the Loop and in the Gold Coast, and it slowly worked its way north. And it was in the 70s, the community really settled into Newtown, And just as a kind of a slur, kind of a owning it, people would call it Boys Town because that's where all the gay boys were at. And it just became known as Boys Town. And currently there's Lakeview, which is Boys Town, and then there's Andersonville, which is much closer to where I live at. And both have really strong and vibrant communities, they have nightlife. And then outside of that, there's really phenomenal organizations. Um, We have Howard Brown Health here, which does phenomenal outreach. Uh, There's really well-organized sports leagues for pretty much any sport that you would want to do. So it's a really strong um, community here as well. Yeah, I know here in D.C. there's Team D.C., which D.C. Strokes relies on for some social events and kind of finding new members. Does CRU do the same thing there in Chicago? So there's the uh, CMSA, which is the Chicago Metropolitan Sports Association, which we've partnered with. 
But a lot of times, if we don't do something on our own, we'll partner with other teams. The Smelts is the LGBTQ swimming team. They just hosted an event that we attended and support it. The Dragons is the rugby team. There's Winnie City Cycling. So pre-pandemic, they used to have like sports night at one of the bars and the different teams would show up and really represent and talk to people who might potentially be interested in joining. So things haven't quite gotten back to that yet, but there's we've done things like that in the past. I just, um, I'm proud to be on the team that I am and I'm proud of what we do in the Midwest. And I know that it's great to partner with other two groups like Greater Columbus Rowing, who has a really large LGBTQ contingent on their team. We've partnered together for things. We just continue to try to network and build that gay rower association and have fun. CRU is the only LGBT plus rowing club in the Midwest. You know, mm-hmm. We should say there are very few LGBT clubs anywhere in the world. Sure. So as, as part of this conversation for Pride Month, we've also spoken with DC Strokes here in Washington, DC and Melbourne Ar- Argonauts in Melbourne, Australia, who can both say that they're one of, you know, onlys or the first of. Yeah. And um, Strokes was founded in 1991, Melbourne Argonauts, which their full name is actually the Melbourne Argonauts Queer Rowing Club. They were founded in 2001. And then CRU was founded a little bit later than that, right? What can you tell me about the founding of the club? So the club actually came together in 2006 for the Chicago Gay Games. So it was a group of collegiate rowers or post-collegiate rowers who decided that they wanted to race at the Chicago games. They made it all work, found a boat, found time to practice, got in it and ended up meddling a couple of times and decided that they had such a good time that they wanted to continue it. And that was really the origin of the team. And back then, the team was known as Crew, but it was Q-R-E-W. And they kept that name for a couple of seasons. And then as it began to grow and become more popular, they changed it to CRU, Chicago Rowing Union. Okay, so that was 2006. And when did you end up joining Crew? I joined 11 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like, how is, how is this possible? How are we, have we gotten so old? I remember meeting you here in DC. Uh, some of you were here in uh, DC for Stonewall Regatta. That was my first Stonewall. I know that you took a, a large chunk of time off and haven't rode a lot with, with other clubs, but what would you say is special about rowing with an LGBT plus club and how does it feel to row there? I'll base this strictly on my experiences. Um, I did take two years and rowed with another team. It, it was kind of eye-opening for me and in how I felt. I won't go into details and point out stuff, but I can say I never really felt 
comfortable that I could be myself. I remember we had an assistant coach that would be with my boat most of the time. And it, this stands out for me that we were in head season. We were finishing up the piece. We were tired and he's in the launch next to us and he's calling it out, you know, all right, we're coming up. It's the last 250 meters. This is where the crowds are going to be. I know you're tired, you know, empty the tank, all the stuff that you normally say. He goes, this is where your wives and girlfriends are going to be or your boyfriends or husbands or whoever's coming to see you. Like there was just that momentary pause. Yeah. And he included it because yeah. he knew. And it was the only time that I really felt that acceptance. You know, there's people on the team that, that team that I still stay in touch with and talk to, and they're nice guys, but I never felt like I could talk about being married. I mean, I got married when I was on the team and people knew no one asked me about it. No one's congratulated me and watched how one other guys got married, how, you know, Oh, let's go out. Let's have beers. Let's celebrate. It's just like, they, I don't know what they thought the conversations were going to be, but I just know when I came back to crew, I feel like I can let the walls down and I can be myself and I don't have to worry if I make a joke that someone might not get at. It's just, for lack of a better term, it's that safe space. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really, we really work on. And we try to let people understand that it's, it's a place where you can be yourself. And it's okay if you're not super athletically inclined. It's okay if you're not like the stereotypical butch, um, you know, jock. Like you can be yourself. All we ask is that you show up and you contribute. And I think that that's part of success. I'm really glad that you, that you brought up the term safe space, you know, clubs like CRU and DC strokes and Melbourne Argonauts were all developed to be safe spaces for the LGBT plus community. And something that's kind of been rolling around in, in our brains lately is this notion that society is changing. Norms are changing Hopefully people are more open and accepting in sports that's opening up a bit, but there are still places that are intended to be safe. And I think I know what your answer is going to be, but how important are clubs like CRU for the rowing community? I think they're really important. I look at my personal experience, but I see it in, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've got thick skin. If someone wants to yell a slur at me, it's, you know, it may get to me at some point, but I'm not going to, it's not going to stop me. But I see a lot of these, I call them kids that come in and they've not played sports or they're afraid to be themselves. And you can see it on their face and it's so rewarding to watch them blossom Mm -hmm. as if they stick with it. And as the season progresses that they really become comfortable and they open up and you see these people grow in front of you. And it's because they feel like they've found a spot 
that they're supported in. And you never know anyone's backstory and you don't know what their family life is like, what their, you know, friend circle is. And they get in there and it's a space to be able to talk about who they are. And I especially see it when we have trans rowers over the years that come in and there's always a nervousness with them about how will they be received? Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time I've seen it, it's really just, how do you want to be identified as, you know, what are your pronouns? And that's usually done on the side. It's not a, a group thing. And you're introduced as that. And then what are starboard? And mm-hmm. are, are you going to show up and are you going to carry equipment? I mean, yeah. It's just, it's really rewarding to me to, to just see these people have that spot. And I think what's even better is that the boathouse that we row out of, uh, we have high school and collegiate teams and especially the high school kids we share a bay with, and they're all so accepting of it because they know, and we have a lot of their coxswains that will jump in our boats over the summer to get extra experience. Mm-hmm. And we've never had a problem with anyone. <laughs> one was like, wow, look at them. They go, that one's probably as old as my grandmother. I hope I can do it when I'm that age. She's like, younger than me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just, they look at us and they just see rowers and they don't see, you know, anything beyond that. And that to me is what it's about. Yeah. When I started coaching for DC Strokes, especially, you know, my philosophy was you're an athlete, like you're here to row, to get stronger, to be healthy. But the other thing I learned over time and this is just experience and growing up and getting wiser is needing to coach the whole athlete. So yes, they're there as an athlete, but they happen to also be there as an LGBT athlete who's there to be a part of that community. And that's really important. So it was something that I, you know, kind of had to massage and figure out and, you know, be a, be a part of. And that's what I love about DC Strokes. So that actually leads me into another question, which is, you know, DC Strokes has a pink triangle on their blades. And that was a really specific choice that was made in the 90s, when the pink triangle was really impactful, and it meant a lot. Everyone understood what it was. And when they went out on the water with the pink triangles on their blades, they were making a statement. Today, I think actually that pink triangle doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of younger athletes, a lot of younger queer athletes, and they're like, I don't, I don't know what that thing is. And I'm all about the rainbows, <laughs> you know, I'm about the rainbow flag, but you know, the club still has those pink triangles and, and is really behind them and literally flying the flag when, when DC strokes goes to regattas. And we, and I know Melbourne Argonauts is the same way. They travel with a big contingent of athletes to, to various regattas and kind of fly the flag. So when CRU travels, do you feel like you're an ambassador for LGBT and fly the flag or kind of what's your opinion? Do you think you don't need to, and it's not your job? I think it's, important to do it. That flag is up 
It hangs from the tent at every regatta that we're at. Last year, we actually rainbowed the oars. So when we're on the water, you see it. We've got alternate uniforms and swag with team logos that now have the rainbow stripe on it. So we're, you know, we're out there and you're going to know that we are the LGBTQ team that's at the regatta. And we don't shy away from it. There was a lot of discussion last year around the U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals being held in Florida mm-hmm. and the don't say gay legislation in Florida. And I know D.C. Strokes wrote a letter of boycott that was signed on to by hundreds of people. And there was a very deliberate choice to not go to Florida. But there was also a large discussion around this, which was, well, by not going, you're kind of giving in. And a lot of people said, well, I'd rather go and fly the flag and be in support of the community. Where where do you lie on that debate? I understand the philosophy of going and wanting to, to be there and represent, but I signed on to the boycott and I supported it 100%. I think as you continue to see how things are progressing in Florida specifically, it's not getting better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the quote unquote, don't say gay is now expanded to all school ages. It's not just the primary schools. Um, right before we started this, I just read that the NAACP has issued a travel advisory to avoid Florida for uh, people of color and for the LGBTQ community because it is a hostile environment within yeah. the state. And I, I think that as much as I want to be there and I want people to understand who we are and what they see that money speaks. And if um, you're not spending money there, sooner or later, they make it the message. There are venues all over the country that can host a U.S. rowing, like a a master's national regatta, and that are in much more friendly environments. And let's reward those. And let's get together there and be able to be who we are at those venues and, you know, avoid where we don't feel safe. Yeah. Will you be at master's nationals this year in Indianapolis? Absolutely. Okay, for people who are geographically challenged, how far is Chicago from Indianapolis? Like a three-hour drive max. Super, super easy to get down to. Okay, that's like D.C. to Philly. Not that far. Yeah, that's pretty easy. So what is coming up at CRU this season? Anything special? We're expanding the regattas that we're going to. I mean, last year was really, like I said before, it's really a rebuilding year. And it was really like we were the phoenix that came back. More than our origin story, I really love this story about our our renaissance. It was during COVID and I was back to working full time. And I there's a strokes rower that I speak with on a daily basis and our current team president. We're all in a group chat together. We were kind of lamenting about the state of things and the leadership on CRU was thinking that they weren't going to come back that year. 
And I still remember the um, Simone, our current president, made the joke and she goes, I think I'm just going to stage a coup and take over the team. Mm-hmm. And we're like, do it, do it. And it just kind of jumped in where she goes, I feel that this team has given so much to me personally that I owe it to see if we can bring them back. And she goes, if it works, phenomenal. If it doesn't, I know that we tried. It wasn't meant to be. We'll sell off all the equipment, have a party for the alumni and call it a day. Oh, I didn't realize it was, it had come to that. It was that, I mean, it was yeah. really close. Hmm. And we had the conversation and I told her that I would take over social media. And I'm a big believer in like having a very active and engaged social media presence for a team. Because a lot of people use that as your first look at, at whether they decide if they want to join or not. And if they're seeing people that are out, they're seeing a range of people. It's not just the pretty people. You're having older people. You're having ones that may not have the perfect body. If they, if they can see themselves there, that they're more likely to at least try to check it out. And we really kind of jumped. And I remember um, I had made the decision to switch teams and come back to CRU. And we struggled at the beginning of that first season to put full boats out. And to go from that where we had maybe 12 to 16 active members to where we are today has been really rewarding for us. So to go into this season, we're going back to nationals, which we haven't been to, I think, since Camden. Um, So it's been a hot minute. Yeah. We're putting bid in for Head of the Charles. Mm -hmm. For two boats there. Uh, we are doing the head of the Cuyahoga in Cleveland, which is a phenomenal race. Yeah. Really, really well run, uh, great course, easy to get to. Um, and then on top of that, we do alumni rows, fun rows. And I think those are really some of the best days that we have. There's no obligation it doesn't take away from everyone else's actual practice, but it's still, it's just that chance for someone who misses it, but can't commit to actually show up yeah. and get in the boat and have some fun. Yeah. And, and reconnect. And re- yeah. Reconnect and re-engage. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Um, thanks for giving me an hour of your time on a Sunday morning. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Well, have a fantastic Sunday. And uh, I I will see you in Indianapolis for nationals. I'll count on it. Take care. (laughs) Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. Study State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2, making world-class rowing products since 1976. Find out more at concept2.com. Barb, for short hairstyling needs on and off the water. Find Barb at thebarbshop.com. EB5, the online community helping those seeking a green card do the EB5 visa program. Find out more at eb5investors.com. To see photos of Michael and CRU and get links to the people, policies, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Coming up on the next episode. In the third part of our series on gender policy, we sit down with Kevin Harris, 
whose coaching career began in the early 1990s. From high school crews, he moved on to Mount Holyoke College, Mills College, Kansas State, and then 20 plus years at the helm of the University of Tulsa. We'll get his perspective on NCAA, US rowing, and world rowing gender identity policies, and how collegiate programs are integrating gender nonconforming athletes. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast dash topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Oh, so much more. Yeah, we get together on Instagram Live for coffee chat every Friday morning at 8 a.m. West, 11 East. And we bring that post-practice coffee with teammates vibe online to talk with the community about all things rowing. So grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. And make plans to visit us at the 2023 U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals, July 20th through 23rd in Indianapolis. Get more info when you subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. Rachel manages our website and social media. Our theme music is by Jonas Himper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. Tara is based on Vashon Island, Washington. She founded Seize the Oar Foundation in 2010, is fanatic about coaching Learn to Row, and believes the pair is the best boat. Rachel is the founder of Row Source, a longtime rower, coach, and coxswain at the Anacostia Community Boathouse in Washington, D.C., and is squeamish about sculling. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and Row Source. If you liked today's episode and you'd like to join our team in helping make more Steady State podcast episodes, please go to steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, way enough. That's one, two. Hi. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not hi. I'm Tara Morgan. <laughs> but hi. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs>